You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Tonight I'd like to teach you from 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. Eerste Timotheus hoofdstuk 1 en vers 18. Ek het lus om vanavond Afrikaans te preek as het maar reg is. Want dit is die taal wat ek die Heere hoor. As die Heere praat met my dan hoor ek maar Afrikaans. Ik wil al die talk in Engels dat jullie kan verstaan. Gibt daar heute Abend Deutsche reden kunnen? Gibt daar iemand daar Deutsch? Wo sind die Deutsche? Wo sind die Deutsche? Gibt daar keine? Hm, schade. All right, from reading from the New Interesting Version, NIV. Verse 18, 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1 says, My son Timothy, I give you this instruction. In keeping with the prophecies, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight, that you may fight the good fight of faith. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked, shipwrecked the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be not taught to blaspheme. Shipwrecking your faith. Fighting the good fight of faith. Let no one tell you otherwise that there is a consistent fight. The day you got born again, you entered a fight. The enemy has always directed attack against you. And his main attack is not to hurt your marriage or your health or take away your car or your job. His target is none of these. His target is your faith. He can't use your car. He can't use your marriage. What he's after is he's saying, what must I do to you to make you think there is no God? There's got to be something I can do that'll make you doubt that God loves you. Got to be a place. I know this because he was doing that same language about Job. And then in Luke 22, Satan went to God and Jesus reports that Jesus, that Satan asked, he asked God to sift to sift the disciples. He wanted to check because he wanted to bring accusation against them. He's the accuser of the brethren. So your faith is under constant attack. And that's why I become one that's loved prophecy. In the beginning, I was apprehensive. I didn't want to prophesy. I didn't want to be in the prophetic ministry. I was a pastor. But now I've learned how life-changing it is, how that it helps people and changes their life forever. My wife and I were not long ago in a city called Bonn in Germany. This popped in my mind, one of the many, many, many testimonies. And Bonn is the second capital of Germany. It is, uh, has very old Roman ruins from before Christ even. And it has many languages. There's on a river and it has a multicultural church that I go to. And so, and I, when I was there, this one man decided he had to sing a song to me. And he was <clears throat> determined to sing a song that he wrote. And I wasn't overly excited to hear it, but I had to listen to it in the service. And off he went. And afterward, I still didn't know why I had to listen to that. And then he explained that apparently a couple of years earlier, I had been there and prophesied to him as a school teacher, a 50-year-old school teacher, that many things I'd said were very applicable to his life, but I'd said that God would heal him and he would not die. And he said, I didn't understand that. That was totally bizarre for him. He was a health nut and he rode bike to school and he was always eating the right food. But it was three months after I left that he collapsed in class and had a heart attack. 
and the, the emergency services took an entire hour to finally stabilize his heart with many times they shocked him and he was in a coma because they, they'd said he had too little oxygen so long they were concerned that he was dead or brain damaged or brain dead only to find out that for a month he had all this stuff keeping him alive and the pastor came every day with my written out prophecy and read to him what Ed Trout prophesied. And he kept reading it to him. And this man, Uli, after a month, sat up, woke up, sat up, pulled all the equipment off him. And he said, my name is Uli and I'm going home. And they could find no trace of any heart attack on the, in all the EKGs. And so he was very excited. And I thought, that's marvelous. I didn't even remember you. Hallelujah. And then, he's, then, then the pastor got up and said, but the story doesn't end. Because at the same time, you were having dinner with us and some of the leaders. And my wife, who she walks with two crutches. I apparently, I don't remember any of it, but I leaned over to her and asked her, are you taking medication? And she said, yes. I said, you must stop that stuff. That stuff's killing your body. And it's just making you sick. And she said, she said she had no courage to stop the medication, but she started lessening it. And by the time I'd come, she'd stopped it completely and was now completely well, didn't use crutches, completely healed and restored. And so the pastor thought I was the best prophet. <laughs> Why am I telling you that is because the prophetic word will give you something to fight with. When he was laying in the hospital, there was a war on and he was doing warfare. And so Paul tells Timothy to fight with the prophetic word that he got, to use it to equip. The whole armor of God is defensive. You have weapons. You have a helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. You have a shield of faith. But the only attack weapon, only weapon to fight with is this two-edged sword, which is God's Word. So then I get God's Word and His promises to me. Then how do I fight with that Word? How do I, how do I apply that battle? What do I do when I get a prophetic Word? Well, the first thing you're going to do is get the recording and make sure you heard it correctly. Write it out and make sure you only hear it correctly, apply it correctly. If it says it's going to, you're moving, are you moving house, job? What are you moving? What's moving in your life? You've got, it's a journey to, to know God's word and his will, but to work out the way God works these things out. It takes a little time and relationship. Stay with me. So now you have to know how to warfare with that prophetic word when all hell breaks loose. God gives you a promise. He says, Joseph, your brothers are going to bow down to you. Your mother and father will bow down to you. And the first thing that happens to him, he's a slave. Exact opposite. Abram, you're going to have a child. 24 years. And nothing happened. He got older. He was already old. Now he's getting older and older and older and nothing's happening. And so the prophetic word had to work in his soul to awaken. Now listen, to do warfare with a prophecy, the first thing is you have to hear it and make sure you listen to it. And then you have, faith comes by hearing. And you have to start doing something that will walk in line with the prophecy. If you get a prophetic word, God's giving you a car, you go clean your garage out or buy a key ring, do something that you're expecting. If God gives you a promise, because I've never seen a woman that's expecting a baby get a shock when she gives birth. <gasps> Where'd that come from? <laughs> she gets pregnant and nobody can tell, but oh, she's getting ready. She's buying equipment for the baby, get the, painting a room, getting her husband all excited. All they talk about is baby, baby. No baby's there, but they're talking about all the, and when the baby's finally born, no one's surprised. Like, where did that? No, they're all happy. 
because they were expecting it. But Christians get shocked when what God promised happened or when the pastor prays. Pastor, I don't Pastor, it's so much but on Monday, the Yerge Wur. How odd is that? Yes. So we have to make sure we start believing what God says. And if it starts to get negative and you start confessing, oh, I don't know if I can believe those prophecies anymore. You start that. That's exactly what the devil wants. Fear and doubt. Fear is your greatest enemy. There's always a panic that comes when the devil can try and create a panic and a fear in you. Then faith is out the door. And you can't function in faith. The devil knows, he knows you don't need a lot of faith. Because he heard Jesus say, if your faith be as a mustard seed. And he knows how little, little seed that is. That's a tiny, tiny seed. You can hardly see it and hardly hold one. It's that tiny. If your faith be as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. That's a lot of faith, a lot of power. But in your heart, you must not doubt. So it was never about how much faith you had. It was always about how little doubt you had. So the devil got a grip on that thing. And he's always been the one to instigate doubt. The first time he speaks to Eve, did God really say? He didn't have to try and convince her, Eve, quickly, pick, no one's watching. No, he said, did, is, that, is that what God said? And then she quotes what God said, but she misquotes it. She says, God said, you shall not look at that tree or eat of that fruit, for that day you shall surely die. No, he didn't say you can't look, girl. Look all you want. Look until you can't blink anymore, but don't touch it. Don't eat it. And people don't always know what God said. That's why you must know what the prophetic word meant and applies to, that you can do warfare with it. So when the devil attacks you, you have a promise of God. I mean, we get a word, and I want to tell you one of the marvelous things about Peter in the Bible, because he was a weak character in so many ways. That Peter, he was, he was lived in Bethsaida and he married a girl in Capernaum. She, he was only about 24 when he got married. And her, her father, her, her dad was dead. And he was living with a mother-in-law who was sick. Jesus raised one time he was sick and, he, and she waited on Jesus. And he's living in this house there with her. And, and then he follows with her, his brother Andrew and they meet Jesus. And he's so desperate for Jesus' attention. He makes such a lot of strange mistakes that he sinks in the water. And he, when you come to rest Jesus, Peter's got a, a sword and he can't even kill one of the soldiers. He nicks a man's ear off. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me tonight. No way, way. And that, he, even that, everything, he was such a loser. He's just the strangest thing, this man, Peter. But the one thing that's very evident in Peter, he had the uncanny belief in his heart, whatever Jesus said, so the 5,000 feeding comes and, they, and Jesus says, guys, what do we have to feed them with? Uh, really? Five, Jesus, are you okay? 5,000 people? <laughs> and, well, we've got a little boy here with some fish and some loaves. Okay, that'll do, bring it. And he takes the three loaves and he divides it. He prays over it and divides it and gives it back to disciples, divides 12 disciples, three fish. That would give you a little quarter piece of fish. So I'm seeing Peter now with a fish head <laughs> and a piece of bread. Uh, master, could you tell me again what I must do with this again? <laughs> Go and give it to them. Yeah. And I must tell them they can have as much as they want. Right, right, right. So from Jesus to the people, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> Something had to happen. 
Now, you know the most amazing thing about that seed? He starts to give to the people and it's multiplying. And what amazes me, if he's watching this thing, if at any time he ate of that fish or bread, the miracle would stop. If you eat your seed, the miracle stops. He gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And then Christians that want to sow their bread, they've got no more use for the old broken car or old clothes. It's bread, it's been used and it's got no life in it. So they want to give that and think it's seed. It's no, no, it's not seed. Seed's something you can use. Seed's it's got life in it. It will reproduce itself. It's something you don't really want to give because you want to keep it and you want to give your bread because you've, you've used it up and get it all messed up. You've got to eat your bread and sow your seed. Don't touch it because it's not yours. Just keep sowing it. Do you understand? And that's what happened. So that night when they fed the 5,000 and 12 baskets collected, Jesus they chanted, make him king. So Jesus goes up in the mountain to pray and they said, go, I'll be back. And they're on the lake and he comes walking on the lake towards them. It's a ghost, one says. Dummy, it's not a ghost. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Always don't be afraid. Because the moment you're fearful, out goes the faith. Do you understand? So, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter's not smart. If that's you, he just, he just said it's him. If that's you, tell me to come. So he gets a mega prophecy, come. Now, if Peter was at least a little spiritual, he would have said, could you confirm that, please? <laughs> or if he was even from here, from the Cape, he would have said, I'm putting out a fleece. <laughs> One leg out of the boat. Well, the other leg's still safe. And as a sign, no. And if he was a church leader, he would have had a leadership meeting. <laughs> what do you guys feel about walking in the water? <laughs> Judas, the bookkeeper. We don't have the money right now to find your body. If you drown, we, can, we, can, we cannot replace you. No, this is not good time. And then there was James and John, sons of thunder. What are your short-term and long-term goals? Are you wanting to start a, a walking on the water ministry? Is that what you're looking at? What are your plans? <coughs> and then there's Thomas. What if it's not the Lord? What if, what if it's not, God, not God's timing? I mean, right? Peter didn't think. He, was, he didn't think. He got out of the boat and walked. And when he did begin to think, he began to sink. Thinking makes you sink. Lean not onto your own under understanding. Don't lean on that because it's going to let you down. Trust with all of your heart. I don't understand, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because you've got a pea-sized brain now compared to God. Do you know it's the most strangest thing God has, has dumbed down the Bible as much as he possibly could? I mean, think about your Bible. Think about this. In the garden, there were two trees. It sounds like kindergarten to me. This is the almighty God with universes, and he's saying, there were two trees. One a tree of life. Pretty little flowers. And one with a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It sounds like a storybook, like kids. And that's all we can cope with. That's why I'm amused at Christians that say, I know what God's doing. <laughs> He's making universes. 
creating atoms. And you know what God's doing. Right. You don't even know what you're doing, let alone God. Your wisdom is foolishness to God. That's why you trust Him, because you don't know what God's doing. If I knew what God was doing, I wouldn't need to trust Him. But you've got to trust Him, right? So when you get a prophetic word, now you're doing warfare. And how you start is you believe what God says, and now you start praying it into existence. A pastor in Kentucky, or no, he's in West Virginia. He'd come to a place where I was ministering and they made me minister over him. And I, he said, everything you prophesied happened, but you prophesied someone's going to come and give me a car. And I could not, I just could not see that. And I didn't want to say it from the pulpit in case someone thought they had to do that. And he just, it just bothered him. And then the Lord spoke, we must pray it in. So I began to pray it in. And the next week, a total stranger from another church came and said, come, come to my car, I'll pick any car you want. And since then, he thinks I'm a great prophet. And it's happened. And why I'm telling you this is, there's a role you must play in your prophecy many times. And your role is to pray, believe, and start expecting. God, will, God invites you in a prophecy. He invites you to His purpose and plan. He invites you to the plan of God because He's got a plan. And those prophecies are, are indicators in the direction He wants you to go to stimulate your faith. He never tells you the whole story because we can't cope with it. And many, it can't even tell us many things that are, unless they long-term because we, when we start hearing God too much, we start running and doing things that God didn't ask us to do. We get in His way. And so He tells us it's enough to keep us going. And that He's very gracious and kind and, and wise how to tell us things. But like, like Paul is in a ship in a storm and he says, an angel came to me last night and said, I have to appear before Caesar. Now he's in a storm. Nothing's changed. It's nasty. People are full of anxiety. And he says, men... Take something to eat and don't be worried anymore. And the ship's going, wah, wah. And he's saying, I believe it'll happen to me as God said. Yes. That's what Paul said. And then they ran the bar and some sunshine. And then a snake gets a hold of him on the island. And, he's, and he shakes it off because the same word he had on the ship is still working. Yes. So you get a prophetic word. The devil's going to throw it all at you to try and, I've got to do something to make them doubt. What can I do? I, I'll know. I'll get a snake to bite him and hold on to his hand. And then I'll get the nice people to say, he's got to be a bad guy. He's got to, that's what I'll, I'll do something to put doubt and fear in him. He'll keep at it and keep at it because he wants to stop you on your journey. You are of vital importance to God. Not one of you here by accident. None of you just happen to be here. Every one of you are extremely precious to God. The older I become, the more fascinated I am at God's great love and how He's made it clear to me. His love is my mind can comprehend how deeply He loves people so much. The worst people in our estimation, He has such passion for them. He has every plan and hope for everyone till the very last breath to become His child and to do what's right. He didn't stop loving them. Nobody, nobody that does wicked things was born that way. No one planned. I forget to meet, get to prophesy over children. What do you want to become when you're big? I want to be a firefighter. Well, I want to be a, the girl says, I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a doctor. They don't say, I want to be a prostitute. Or oh, I want to grow up and be a child abductor. Nobody plans on these things. So we're so quick to judge someone because of their struggles and the way they found themselves in a hole. But that was never God's plan for them. Never. And He loves them. He sees way beyond what we stumble and fall. People hurt you and you, all you see is the pain and hurt they, they cause you in your life. Am I right? 
So I mean, he loves you where you are, no matter how many mistakes you've made. He wants me to forgive you 70 times seven, 70 times seven. Yet we struggle to accept his forgiveness two or three or four times than we think that we undeserving. But God has so much kindness and forgiveness. You have just no understanding. His greatness of, where's my clock? Of, of his understanding. I mean, I see it always. <laughs> I'm always obedient. They ask me, I see you stick the clock. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a obedient. I'm submissive. I really, I want you to, sub, you know, submission is power. Well, don't say, yeah, a lot of you don't submit. A lot of you just, no, listen, listen. Uh, submission only works when you don't agree anymore. While you agree with the music and the preaching, you're just agreeing. But when you don't agree, we'll see if you submit it or not. Now, submission is power. James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil. And all of you resist the devil and it's a fight for you because you haven't learned to submit yet. When you submit to God, there's no argument. Just do what you're told. And you do it gladly. No argument, just whatever you say, God's okay. Now you, but you struggle when God says, I want you to sow 10,000 rand. God, you don't know I've got to pay this for longer. You're already arguing. We, we all struggle, all of us, and you, you've got to literally train yourself to submit to Him. There's power. Submit to those in authority. There's power. It gives you enormous, undercover, gives you enormous authority and power and safety. There's nothing like it because now you give God permission to fight for you. Okay, it's all by myself here on this platform. All by myself. So when you fight for your prophecy, when you start doing warfare, you start calling it in, praying it in, and you start surrounding yourself with people that have faith. If you're fighting a real hard battle with sickness, for example, you don't want to surround yourself with negative, whiny people that are all... In fact, that's what Jesus did. When miracles came, to, like people that had died, he would raise them from the dead. He lessened the crowd and just took in certain people with him. He surrounded his atmosphere with those that had faith. When, when people were negative, then why are you all waiting? The child's not dead, she's only asleep. Get out of here, go. Because you're messing up the atmosphere. Do you understand? You create a faith atmosphere. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a, there's a God, God controls atmosphere. You cannot go into someone's house that until you bind the strong man. There's an atmosphere you must take control of. And in your own fight, when you're fighting a battle, the more intense it gets, the more careful you come in your fight. So when you do warfare with your prophecy, you make sure that you begin to confess, speak what God says. And it becomes a reality. You begin to live as if it's going to happen and not full of fear. You don't entertain the negative, whiny, it's not going to happen, it's really too late. It's not too late. For God is never too late when it seems too late for me. I mean, it was, God is sometimes seemingly, those three Hebrew boys were in the fire, not going to the fire. To me, it seemed like a little late. Lazarus was already four days in the tomb. He was decomposing a little late. And Jesus says, he tells his disciples before he gets there, I'm so glad for your sake I was not there that he could die. Really, Jesus? You're glad you were not there that he could die? Really? Yes, for your sake that you can see the glory of God. Okay, we, we could see the glory of God some other way to wait for a poor man to die. I mean, that's, I don't understand. Jesus does funny things to me. This little boy's having an epileptic seizure on the floor, foaming at the mouth. And so he says to his, his father, how long has it been like this? Really, Jesus, we're having this conversation now? I, I just don't understand. God just walks in the pool of Bethesda. All these sick people, five colonnades, and he finds a guy that he hears, oh, he's lame. You've been lame 39 years. You want to get well? 
you want to get, really Jesus? You want to ask him? You want, he, no, he's sitting here 39 years for, for fun. What a strange thing. Jesus did a lot of strange things. Okay, take up your bed, let's go. Could we just leave his bed because that's gonna get a lot of trouble. The, the Sabbath thing, bed, just, just go. Didn't even preach the gospel to him. Jesus did a lot of things that I would like to know. He's up on the mountain with, with Elijah and Moses. What's, what's with that? Now me, if I was Jesus, if I was, Peter's there, Peter's there, right? Now if I was Peter, you know, and, I'm, and Moses, I'm thinking, what would I do if Moses and Elijah was there? I'd say, hey, Moses, you ready? Can you just give me? <laughs> I would do something. You know, can I ask you a question, Elijah? I've always, put, put your hand on. I would do something. You know what Peter wants to do? Sh shall I make a tent? <laughs> what? What is wrong with you, boy? What you smoking? What you smoking? And they come down the mountain. You know what Jesus says? Don't tell anybody. I didn't know what I would tell them anyway. We up at a mountain, we saw Elijah and, Elijah and Moses. Yeah, right. that's gonna that's gonna go over well. My next party discussion. I mean, it's just so much stuff happened in the life of Jesus. It's really strange. Forty days and nights, he's he's from the dead. He's he's on the earth. Where is he staying? Where's he sleeping? We only know that 500 people saw him, but we don't know what he's doing. There's no one, are you guys totally unaware of what he's, what, how can it be? What, what's he doing 40 days and nights? God is busy always working in your life. You don't have to understand his ways. And when he gives you a prophetic word, you must just grasp it and fight with it. Say, devil, you're not gonna put, don't you put negative words inside of me. I'm gonna believe what he says. I'm gonna warfare and fight and I'm gonna believe and call that in. I'm gonna have what God says for me. Do you understand? But I've waited 40 years. It doesn't matter what God does. God has many ways and means of doing things. He's way bigger than you are. Trust Him. Can you say amen to that?